Hi, I'm Barney Schwenke, the pastor here of Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch this sermon video we're about to show you. My prayer is that God will use this message, along with you being part of a local Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. Trust that the following message will be a blessing to your heart. If you have your Bibles this morning, Matthew chapter 7 is our text. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we are going to be looking at the subject today, cultivating a healthy soul. We're right in the middle of a mini-series, kind of just working our way through some different thoughts that I've had personally, kind of a topical type message, which is a little different than the expository messages normally we have at Faithway. You know, the Bible tells us that God's Word won't return void in our hearts and in our lives. And the, I believe the best way to study God's Word is systematically go verse by verse through a book so you get a good picture of what God is teaching to His church. And uh, that's just like I, I told you a couple weeks ago, that's red meat for the soul. I, I know that some of you are vegetarians, but, you know, a good old steak, right? That's what I crave on the 4th of July. And so that's normally what we do on a Sunday morning, going verse by verse uh, through the text. But we're going to take one more week here and look at a, a passage of Scripture and kind of go throughout the entire Bible and see some different examples this morning of people who uh, really, there are different responses to the Word of God and what their souls were like and how uh, the Bible can change your life if you let it. But before we get there, I noticed this next week coming up that it's Shark Week. Anybody see that? Shark Week is coming up very soon. And that's always an interesting time of the year for our family. We enjoy every once in a while watching those shows that are on Discovery Channel, and then we never want to get in the ocean again. But you know what I'm talking about, right? So let me just give you some tips. If you want to avoid uh, some public service, a uh, public service announcement, basically, if you want to avoid getting um, eaten by a shark, here's some tips on how to survive a shark attack. Number one, don't swim in the ocean. 99% of all shark attacks take place in exceptionally large bodies of water. I guess the other 1% are aquariums, all right? So don't swim in the ocean, and the way you can tell if you're in the ocean or not is taste the water. If it's salty, then you know that you're in the ocean. Secondly, listen out for the music, all right? If you hear, <laughs> most of you know where I'm going with that, but if all of us hear it, da-da, and it starts getting louder and louder and louder and quicker, you know that there's a shark attack going to happen nearby. Number three, don't go out without a knife. That, that's not to defend yourself in case a shark attacks. That's just to stab the guy swimming next to you so the shark will attack him and you can get away. Number four, if you happen to get eaten or bitten by a shark, all right, number four, don't panic. Because in the event that a sh the shark actually bites you, remain calm. It's not going to help you survive, but the people on the beach will appreciate you not interrupting their vacation on the beach, all right? So... All right, I know, it's pretty bad. But public service announcement, I know it's Beach Week and Shark Week, so if you happen to go there, that's the way that you can survive. Now, I know this is probably a really lame segue to this message this morning, but in our life, from time to time, don't it, doesn't it feel like we are continually swimming with sharks? Doesn't it seem like it seems one thing after another after another is attacking us, and constantly um, we find ourselves wondering whether or not we are going to survive the struggles that are in our life? Well, Jesus in the Bible tells us ways that as Christians, not only are we to survive, but we are to thrive in this life. And I know I don't want to make it sound like this is just a cheesy message, how to thrive as a Christian, but God in his word gives us some very specific ways when the shark attacks come that we can overcome those difficult days and we can cultivate in our heart and in our life a healthy soul. 
Matthew chapter 7 is our text. If you're there, I want you to look at verse number 20, uh, verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Stop there for a second. How many of you want to be a wise person? I know I do. I, I don't want to be a fool. I want to be wise. And the rain descended. What did the wise man do? He built his house upon a rock. And when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon his house, it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. All right, he had a solid foundation. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now this morning, many of you came to church with your Bible tucked underneath your arm. And if you didn't come to buy a church with a Bible, you probably have it pulled up on your phone right now, right? You, you, you love God's Word. You read God's Word. And it's something that's important to you. But as, as Christians, sometimes we get caught up in this idea that we kind of romanticize the life of a, of a believer. And we think, well, if I just pay attention to the preaching on Sunday morning, if I just kind of live out and I have my daily bread and I read a few minutes of the Bible every day, that I'm not going to be attacked by the sharks of this life, that I'm not going to face any difficulties. And when we go through difficult times, we get confused. We wonder to ourselves, maybe not out loud, but we wonder to ourselves or maybe even to God, what did I do wrong? Where did I wander off of the path? And sometimes we say, well, what is that magic thing that I can do that will take away all of my problems? And yet, this parable that Jesus taught here in Matthew chapter 7, this lesson, it teaches that difficulty will come to everybody. The storm came to the wise man and it came to the foolish man. It doesn't matter your station in life, you will be hit by storms. The question is, how are you going to survive when those storms come? Life is not about learning to have fewer troubles. Life is about learning to survive when troubles come your way. And one of the key components that Jesus is teaching his disciples and everybody that was listening to the Sermon on the Mount that day is the key here of surviving trouble and the relationship, Jesus says here, is to build your foundation upon the rock. What is the rock? It is Jesus Christ. It is the Word of God. It is the Bible. But the key to survival is not just carrying your nice big Bible with you to church on Sunday morning. The key to survival is not just reading your Bible. The key to surviving in life is what you do with the Bible that you know and that you love. This morning, what I'd like to do is take a look at various individuals in the Bible throughout the history of God's Word that have a connection with the Bible. Some good, some bad, and I want to pull out some principles today from, this, from our text that we'll read throughout the Word of God and apply them to our lives. And so we get an idea what it means. It says, for it was founded upon a rock, right there in the middle of that section of Scripture. What does it mean for us as believers to build our life upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ? So we're going to look at different groups of people today and see how they responded to the Bible that they supposedly love. First of all, I want you to notice the Pharisees. Right? In the New Testament, probably one of the chief adversaries that the Lord Jesus Christ faced when he was here for his three and a half years of earthly ministry was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a sect of Jews, sort of like a, a denomination, what we would say, you know, different, uh, maybe you have some really far-right extreme Baptists, right? That would be probably, they would fit right in there. They're the far-right of Israel. They had a very high view of the Word of God. 
They believed that the Old Testament in its entirety was indeed the written word of God. They believed in the supernatural. They believed in angels. They believed in life after death. I mean, they were some very spiritual people. They were concerned about obeying the word of God. In fact, they were so concerned that they invented laws and applied those laws to the other laws that God had given them. And they had these books that were not the Bible, but they were books of extra stuff that you had to do to make sure that you didn't ever possibly violate one of God's word. In a sense, they loved the Bible, and they're very much like you and I. Yet Jesus did not have very good things to say about the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verse number 23, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. In other words, look out, beware, for ye tithe of mint. In other words, the offering plates on the way back out the door this morning. You put your check in the offering and you say, Okay, God, I've done my job. I've tithed, right? I've tithed mint and anise and cumin and I've omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought, to, ought ye to have done, and not to leave others undone, you blind guides, which strain a gnat and swallow a camel. In other words, Jesus is saying you're so careful to make sure you get the little fleas out of the milk that you drink, right? Before refrigeration, you would just have to strain your, your drinks before you would drink them. And he says, you, you take the gnat out, you strain the gnat, but you swallow a camel. You don't see the beam that is in your own eye. So the problem with the Pharisees is not the, the fact that they love the Bible. It's not that they placed an importance on obeying God's word. The problem that Jesus said with the Pharisees is that they are hypocrites, right? You are a surface-only Bible believer. You only practice what you see on the outside. That's all that's important to you. Listen, a person who values the word of God, it will change the way that they live their life. But it's not enough when trouble comes. And so we call the Pharisee a hypocrite. Maybe you've used that terminology to refer to somebody within a church body that you've met before. They're just a big Pharisee. Why? Because their life on the surface preaches one thing, but deep down inside they have a double standard. The Pharisee is a person who pretends to be one thing in front of others, and yet they are com someone completely different when they're with another group of people. This is a person who is criticizing other people because they obviously are not trying, to, as hard as they are, to cover up their problems. So instead of being concerned about people who are struggling with sin, the Pharisee is the person who is critical of those people because they aren't doing as well in faking their sin as he is. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 9, just a couple of verses over there, chapters if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 10. And it came to pass that Jesus sat down to meet at the house. He sat down to eat. Behold, many publicans and sinners right? Common, ordinary tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? In other words, why is your master sitting down with the common folks? But when Jesus heard that, he said to them, that they behold, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners... To repentance. Now, is God concerned about the things on the outside? Yes. But the way that you fix problems is not just simply by cleaning up the outside, but by working on the inside. A couple of weeks ago, I was helping my father-in-law. He recently purchased a house in, in Florida. And so I went down there to help him make a few changes to that house. 
and uh, there was a leak that had been um, taking place where the chimney and the roof came together. There was about a two or three inch hole, and there, the flashing didn't cover that. And so the water would just come down, and instead of being diverted into the gutter system, it would just like literally run down the, one of the sides of the walls of the house. And that was the side where there was a fireplace. And so uh, we had purchased a picture that we were going to hang over the fireplace. And so I, was, uh, I, I got a nail and a hammer, and I was going to put the nail into the drywall to hang the picture. And I, I had the hammer and the nail, and I tap it, and the nail goes whoop, right through the drywall. And I said, ooh, that's not good. So I took my finger, and I poked my finger right through the drywall. I said, that's not good at all. So I just took my hand and put it in there, and I pulled out the drywall. And on the back side of that was all black mold. It was something that needed a whole lot of work. And so the little project that we thought was just going to be a simple paint job turned out to be taking off the entire section of that and going up into the roof and fixing the flashing and a bunch of bleach and a bunch of fans and just a whole lot of a mess. And that's the, this is the thing. We could have just put some paint over the top of it and we could have called it a day, right? We could have walked away and said, there's no problem here. And that would surface, though, in just a couple of years, right? People would start getting sick, and it would, the mold ultimately, if the leak didn't get fixed, would continue to grow and rot, and we'd have a lot of other problems with the electrical systems and the rest of the house. And before you know it, you're living in a condemned home. It had to get taken care of on the inside out. And the same is with the human heart. When the inside is dealt with, the outside will begin to take care of itself. So this morning, we're going to look at some different people in the Bible and their responses to the Bible. I want to ask you to ask yourself this question today. Ask yourself, am I a Pharisee? Am I a surface-only Christian? Hopefully this morning you would say, that's not me, but maybe you are. Maybe your spouse, maybe someone that you love would look at you and say, you know, you really are a hypocrite. You really need to work on practicing what you preach. So the first group is the Pharisees. Second group of people that had the Word of God were Job's friends. Remember Job in the Old Testament? Well, they say it's one of the oldest books or probably the oldest book in the Bible. Job was a guy in the Bible who had everything go wrong all at once. His children were killed. He lost all of his, his possessions. And then on top of all that, he had boils that covered him from the head of his foot, or the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, right? He was just a mess in every aspect of his life. And one of the things that I struggle with every time I read the book of Job is the way that his friends treat him. At first, when Job starts to go through the troubles of his life, his friends show up and they just sit alongside of him in silence. And sometimes that's probably the best thing that you can do for a friend. When they're going through a very difficult time, is just show up and you don't have to say a word, just your presence there, just a hug, just a, I'm praying for you. Let me know how I can help you. That goes a long way. And so when they first show up, they sit there in silence. But when the silence is broken and Job begins to complain about the terrible things in his life, which, by the way, were indeed very terrible, Job's friends begin to one by one attack Job, claiming that it's obviously Job's fault that these things happened. One of his friends, a guy by the name of Zophar, Zophar said this, If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him, if iniquity be in thy hand, put it far away. In other words, if you got sin in your life, Job, deal with it. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot, right? Then your heart's going to be clean. Thou shalt be steadfast and not fear, because thou shalt forget thy misery and remember the waters that pass away, and thine age shall be clearer than noonday, and thou shalt shine forth. Thou shalt be as the morning. 
and thou shalt be secure because there is hope. Yea, and thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take rest in safety, and thou shalt lie down, and none shall make thee afraid. Yea, many shall make suit unto thee, but the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape, but their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. In other words, Zophar is saying, Job, if you repent of your sin, whatever they are, sins, sin singular, whatever it is in your life, then your life is going to be okay. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone through a difficult time and had a friend come up and say that to you, but that's not the most encouraging thing that somebody can say. Now, if you are living a double life and God is bringing sin to bear in your heart and to your life, or consequences to bear because of that sin, yeah, definitely repent. But we know from the Word of God that Job was living a righteous life. There was nothing between him and his Savior. And so there, there was a sense that Zophar knew God's Word. Repent, Job, but there, he was wrong. And we'll get to that in a moment. Another friend... Eliphaz came to him and he said, Job 5.17, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, Job, right, don't despise the chastening of the Almighty. So the same, same message from, from Eliphaz. Job, you are running from God. You're a Jonah. Repent of your sin and be happy because God is correcting you. Now, the problem that I have with these two friends is because they they say things that are actually contain truth. Eliphaz, he, he, he says that if, if, you have, if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord's not going to hear. That's the, the gist of it. And he's quoted by Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3. He's quoted in the book of Hebrews. And so his, his phraseology contains truth, but the bottom line is Job's friends, they misapplied the word of God. It's not that they didn't know God's word, but they misapplied God's word to their situation. And they had some of the truth, but they didn't know the truth about Job's situation. And I see this in the life of people who have been believers for a year or so. And they begin to think, well, now that I've been a Christian, I know the Bible, but they really don't know it enough to know all the answers for life. They're the person that looks at Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. This happened, I've seen this before multiple times. And they'll look at it and say, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You probably have heard that verse before. And, and this is a person who will take Hebrews 4.12, and instead of using the word of God like a scalpel to heal, they will use the word of God like a sword, and they will wound other people. That's why oftentimes you may have heard this phrase in the church, the church is called the army that shoots its own wounded. Why? Because we are so quick to bash each, over, uh, each other over the head with the Bible. And Job's friends, they knew part of the word of God. But rather than taking the Bible and helping heal through those difficult times, they abused the word of God. And yet Job still clung to the word of God. Because look at Job 23, 12. I think we have that up there. Job says, Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So we have Job. Job's friends, they, they misapplied the word of God, but Job says, no, I still love the Bible. I still love my God, and I am not going to turn my back on him. So two groups of people so far. Number one, the Pharisees. Are you a Pharisee? Are you practicing on Sunday morning something that you don't live at home? You're a hypocrite. Get right with God on that. Secondly, Job's friends. They have a knowledge of the truth, but they don't apply the Bible correctly to their life. The third person, though, that I want to look at this morning, I think will be an encouragement to all of us here, is a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat was a good king, one of the few good kings, after David and Solomon's reign. 
He was in the southern kingdom of Judah. And as the king, he faced a huge challenge. Three of the enemy nations of the, of the people of Israel, they joined their armies together, and they were on the march to attack Israel. And Jehoshaphat, he gathered the people of God together and prayed, and he asked the Lord for help. And God responded to that prayer by giving them an answer. And this is what God said in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 17. Ye shall not need to fight this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, be not dismayed. For tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Now, we might call this word, a, 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 a Jehoshaphat got a prophecy from God, right? God says, the answer to your prayer is that you will go out and you will fight tomorrow and God will provide for you. God will answer your prayer. And Jehoshaphat, he heard God's response to his prayer and so he gathered up the people of Israel together and they went out to watch what God would do. But before they went out to see the hand of God, I want you to notice in verse number 20 of the same chapter what Jehoshaphat had to say in answer to God's prayer or God's response. And they arose early in the morning, went forth to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, notice what Jehoshaphat did. He stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, and so shall ye prosper. Ladies and gentlemen, Jehoshaphat believed the Bible. And so the lesson today from Jehoshaphat's life is simply believe the Bible. Believe what God says will be true and live it out in your life. One of the most important things, if we are going to survive the shark attacks of this life, is to believe, believe the Bible, and trust that God's promises will, will, will work out themselves in our own life. He works in us, and he grows us, and he develops us. And as we do that, we need to place our faith and confidence in the Word of God because there are a lot of sharks out there that want to get us away from believing in the authority of God's Word. We will never be on the same page with God if we don't learn to trust Him today. You say, how can you back that up with Scripture? Hebrews eleven six. For without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, that He is God, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Beloved, the first step to surviving is believe. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did Jehoshaphat believe the word of God? Yes, he did. And Jehoshaphat and his people expressed their trust in the Lord by giving him praise and by giving him thanks as they were marching to the battle. Before God showed himself strong, they praised the Lord for what he was going to do in the future. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22. And when the people began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and, and Mount Seir, for which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitations of Seir... Everyone helped to destroy another. In other words, Israel didn't even have to fire a shot. Somehow, these three nations 
friendly fire erupted and they started killing each other off. God just provided in a miraculous way and Jehoshaphat and the people stood back and watched God do this miracle, something that only God can do. And so my challenge to you, those of us here today who believe the Bible, is am I truly believing that God will deliver me out of the situation that I am in, whatever that looks like for his glory, that he will provide for me. Jehoshaphat, be like him, he believed the Bible. Thirdly, or sorry, the fourth person that I'd like you to see is a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Daniel. Now, if you've been with us during growth group hour here at Faithway, we've been going through the book of Daniel in the auditorium. Daniel was a, a prophet of God, we know that. But not only was he a prophet, he was also a student of the scriptures as well. We call Daniel a prophet because God spoke some amazing things through him. Daniel chapter 7 and following. I mean, it's basically like revelation in the Old Testament. But in reality, if you think about Daniel's life, Daniel was like some of you here in this room. Daniel was trained as a government official. Daniel went to the Pentagon or to the White House. Daniel was just doing the day in, day out, mundane things that you would have in a government. He was high up there in, the government, in a government position. And he lived during the time of the Babylonian exile, the people of Judah. Remember, as a young, young boy, Daniel was carried off as a young teenager from his homeland in Israel. He was carried across the desert to Babylon. And there he served Nebuchadnezzar, and then he served the new Medo-Persian king. And he served the kings that were there. He outlived multiple kings because of his love for God. And as towards the end of his life, we believe Daniel was in his 90s. In Daniel chapter 9, verse number 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of, his, of Jerusalem. Now, I keep that verse up there on the screen for a moment. You say, what is it talking about there? I told you earlier that Daniel was not only a prophet, but he was a student of the Bible. And what the Bible is saying here is in the first year of his reign, as, Neb uh, sorry, as um, Belshazzar, I believe it was, no, no the, the, king of, the first king of the Medo-Persian, as he is there, Daniel understood by the books of the number of years. In other words, he read the prophet Jeremiah, and he understood that if Israel sinned and God pulled them into captivity, that God said if they repent of their sin, he will bring them back out of captivity and into their homeland. And Daniel is almost 90 years old at this time, and he recognizes that very soon God is going to accomplish what he said he would do. And so what did Daniel do when he realized this? The very next verse, Daniel chapter 9, verse number 3 says, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. What did Daniel do when he read the word of God? He responded to the word of God with prayer. He, he confessed the sins of the nation. Probably because the, the prophet Jeremiah said that if the people of Israel are pulled into captivity, if they ever want hope of coming back to their homeland, what they have to do is repent of their sins and trust God. And, and so Daniel starts off in Daniel chapter 9, verse number 3, and he begins to confess the sins of the people of God and pray that God would restore them. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that that is a great way for us to respond to God and his word. Pray and ask God for direction and ask God for help. You can go through this life asking Google how to do something. You can. And you can get some wisdom and some insight sometime on life. 
and you can find out how to make a cake on Pinterest and do all of these things that you need. You can find that online. But if you want help in your life, if you want God's peace that passes all understanding, if you want to hear him say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you must respond to the teaching and the preaching of God's word through prayer. As the Holy Spirit of God works in your life, whether it's through the preaching of his word on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening, whether it's through the preaching of or through the reading of his word in your own private time with God, the Holy Spirit will show you that's something that I need to change in my life. Now, you have two options when that happens. Either you can walk away from that and not be changed, or you can listen to God's word and you can make a change in your life. Sometimes you will hear things that are wrong in your life that are deeply rooted in your heart. And what you need to do, instead of just simply nodding your head and saying, yes, God, I know I need to change that, or saying amen on a Sunday morning, all right, amen, preacher, all right? You can talk about everybody else's sin, but don't step on mine, right? Or instead of just you know, whispering to your spouse, I'm sorry for getting upset at you last night, instead of just a quick, a quick simple, I'm just to put a Band-Aid on it, Sometimes God needs us to do surgery and literally rip out that deep-rooted sin in our heart and allow that thing just to completely surgically remove it. Those deep character traits that will take years and years. It took a long time to develop in your life, and if you want to overcome them, it's going to take a long time spiritually. How do I overcome that? You overcome it through prayer. I told you last week in our message, our time together, that I have learned over the years the value of having a list of specific things that I pray for on a regular basis. There are things that I know that I need, I need to pray for on a regular basis, and I don't want to forget them. My prayer list, as I divide it up, has a section for my family, a section for our church family. As I break each and every one of our Faithway family up into groups, I pray for each and, each and every one of you in a different day once a week. And we go through different people in our community. We go through different fellow pastors are on my list. But you know what? I have a section on my prayer list every day that I pray for me about. Because I know that there are sins in my life that I struggle with. There are relationships, challenges that I have. And you say, I can't believe that you would actually not want to talk to certain people. But there are people in my life that I would prefer that I don't see on a regular basis. And when they come my way, I would almost like try to avoid them if I could. And I have those people on my prayer list on the me section that God would give me the grace and the courage to respond in love and kindness to them. Now, I have my prayer list locked on my phone, so don't be prying on that and trying to figure out who's on that list, all right? But there are certain people that I pray for in my life on a regular basis, but one of the people that I pray for every single day is me. Why? Because I need the most help of anybody here in this room. I really, truly do. And I know that because I know how wicked my heart is. How do we change? We respond to God's word through prayer. One final person that I want to look at here this morning with you in our time that we have together is a guy by the name of Josiah. Remember I told you Jehoshaphat was one of the few good kings? Josiah was one of the last good kings in the nation of Israel before the Babylonian conquest would come. He became king when he was only eight years old. Man, that's, a, that's an interesting time of life to become a sovereign. I mean, I got an 11-year-old, soon-to-be 12-year-old, and a 13-year-old in our house, and I could not imagine one of my children being king, right? It just, but that's what happened. That's the way it worked back then. Now, probably during Josiah's time, they would have had people that would have stepped up in the interim and kind of been proxy rulers or however that worked. 
But Josiah, he was eight years old, he, he started growing in his relationship with God. And when he was 26 years old, Josiah began to take a special interest in the temple. And he realized that Solomon's beautiful temple that 150 years ago or so had been built to the magnificent glory of God was falling in disrepair. And he gave Hilkiah, the high priest, the responsibility of fixing up the temple. And so Hilkiah and the high priest and the construction crews, they go into the temple and they start fixing things up and restoring them. And they made a very interesting discovery. In 2 Kings chapter number 22, verse number 8, Hilkiah, the high priest, said in the, uh, said in the Shephan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. In other words, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, the, 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 the Pentateuch, the word of God, he found it. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shephem and he read it. And Shephem said, the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and they have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have oversight over the house and the house of the Lord. And Shephem the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And what did he do? He read, the, read it before the king, and it came to pass when the king, Josiah, had heard the words of the, the book of the law, the Bible says that he rent his clothes. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament day, even today, in, in some very conservative Jewish places around the world, a sackcloth and ashes and rending your clothes, your outer garments, is a sign of remorse, a sign of repentance. It's a sign of sorrow. Josiah, he rent his clothes. He tore his clothes. Why? Because he was terrified when he realized how far the nation of Israel had strayed from God. And he heard the warnings of God for Israel about a time that they might stray from him and what would happen if they did. But Josiah didn't stay sad. He started to respond. He made changes. And I guess the lesson that I want us to learn from Josiah's life is that when God convicts your heart through the Bible... Don't just pray about it, but change. Josiah had all the priests in the temple itself. They, they, they started before Josiah's day, back in Ahab and Jezebel's time. They started allowing all this pagan stuff to slowly creep into the temple of God. And by the time Josiah gets on the scene, I mean, it's just a full-blown pagan temple along with a little bit of token stuff to the God of the Bible. And so what Josiah and the priests did is they started tearing everything out of the temple that didn't belong there, and they restored the temple as a place of worship to the one true God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. In a way, Josiah is the anti-Pharisee. The Pharisees, they would have only done some surface restoration. They would have thrown some paint on it. They would have thrown a lipstick on the pig and said, it's okay, you know, we can still worship God the way that it is. But if Josiah had acted like a Pharisee, that's what he would have done. But that's not what he did. He cleansed the temple, the Bible says, from the inside out. He purged the temple. And then he went on from the temple to all the parts of the southern kingdom of Judah. And he started tearing down these shrines to these false gods. Some people have this idea that all we need to do is worry about changing the outside. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not enough. It's not enough to throw some paint on a wall that is covered with black mold. The challenges, the changes that we need to focus on are deeper. They deal with the heart. So the question this morning is this. How will you respond to God's word? You know, in the book of James, James put it this way. He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving 
your own selves. In other words, James says, if you wake up in the morning, guys, and you look in the mirror, and you see a stubble, but then you just kind of walk away and you forget to shave, that's what happens if you come to church on Sunday morning and you don't do anything about the Word of God. James says, don't be that. Don't be a hearer only deceiving yourself, but be a doer of the Word of God. Practice what God says that you need to change in your life. This morning, the title of the message is Cultivating a Healthy Soul. And if you want to cultivate a healthy soul in your life that can survive the storms and the shark attacks that are coming, you need not only hear the Word of God, but you need to do the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, when are you going to come to a place in your life when you stop running from God and you simply trust and obey what the Bible says you need to do? Father, I thank you this morning that you've given us instructions from your Word on how to survive the storms of this life. Lord, I pray that every single person that hears these words this morning, the words of Jesus Christ, would be like that wise man that built his house upon the rock. And when the rains came, the floods rose up, the house was not destroyed because it was built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Lord, we realize this morning that there are a lot of distractions, there are a lot of things that try to get us sidelined from what your will is for our life. And so I pray that the voices of this world would be dim, that we would focus this morning on what the Holy Spirit says we need to work on in our own lives. Because, Lord, we realize that our life here is very, very soon going to come to an end. And we will stand before you for all of eternity. And we have one opportunity, one chance here in this life to make this life count for you. And so may we do our best to build our foundation with what we have left in this life upon the Word of God. Our heads are bowed this morning, our eyes are closed. Can I challenge you, Faithway family? Don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer. If God has spoken to your heart this morning about something that you need to change in your life, as the piano plays today, would you take a few moments, you and God, pray about it, and commit today that you're going to make some lasting changes to root out those things that are deeply seated in your life. Hi, Pastor Barney Schwenke here with you again. Thank you so much for watching uh, the video today and taking time out of your schedule to listen to the Word of God being taught. My prayer is that this message will truly help you in your walk with the Lord. I tell our church family all the time, God's will for your life is a daily walk with Him. So if you have a Bible, make sure you read it. If you don't have a Bible, reach out to us here on our website and uh, we will make sure we send one to you. We want to do everything we can to help you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you found the message today to be a blessing and you have the means financially to be able to help us, we definitely would encourage you to do so. It costs money to be able to produce these videos and to be able to put these out there on the internet for you. You can go to our website, faithwaybaptistchurch.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, you can click the word give, and uh, there you can make a donation to the media ministry of our church if you so choose. But hey, we do this for you. We want to be a blessing. And so thank you again for joining us today. Like we said, if there's any way we could be a help or a blessing to you or your family, the contact information is there on our website. Please let us know. We'd love to be able to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Have a great day.